I've swapped the sermon titles around. I was supposed to be doing another one about living the right side of the cross this morning. I'm doing that tonight at um, Encounter. Do come if you can. Um, And the title for tonight was King of Kings. Majesty. I wonder why I put that title on. But as I was preparing for that, I just felt I needed to do it this morning. And I've done it at 8 and I've done it at uh, 9 o'clock. When Chris asked who'd watched Coronation, I think, did we all put our hands up? It was pretty much everybody, wasn't it? Or at least you've seen the bits on the news or the catch-up program yesterday evening or whatever. And what I'm going to say this morning, please, it's, I'm not having a poke at Charles. I'm not having a poke at the monarchy at all. What my personal views about monarchy and Charles himself are irrelevant. You know, I just want to share with you some of the things that struck me while I was watching it yesterday. Um, I got a text from somebody at the beginning going, are you doing a service? It's a friend of mine who lives in Austria. I text back, no. He said, and why not? He was most offended. I said, because you get a better view on the telly, <laughs> basically. And I said, we're doing our thing Sunday afternoon, quiet reflection. Oh, but it's so amazing. So I said, I'm not sure that is the total feeling across the country. There are those that are really into it, and some are just... And the BBC had a thing saying, you know, five ways of avoiding the coronation, didn't they? And then plastered it wall to wall on every channel. But, um, but they ways of... Because not everybody's there. <coughs> but there were just various things <coughs> that struck me about the coronation and actually struck me not always in a positive way. Now, as Chris has said, Justin and the team, I think, did a brilliant job. He could not... Remember, there's, there's that debate about whether Charles was going to be defender of faiths. or the, I don't think Justin could have said it any louder that he was defender of the faith. Because Justin really emphasised that. And therefore, Charles did. Because he, was, he said it back to him. And I thought that was very clear. And I was really pleased how inclusive it was. But if you look at the other faith leaders, and I don't mean the Church of Scotland, that's not another faith, that's just another, that's another flavour of the same faith. Um, but the, those from other faiths, actually what they did was secular. They weren't involved in the spiritual aspects of the, of the service. Apart from, a, of course, a, a believing Hindu reading the scriptures. Wait, but actually, okay, it's all right. As Paul said, you know that any way of getting the truth out there, and if that spoke to Rishi while he was reading it, let's pray for him, you know. But I love the fact, if you look at the old, um, I don't think there's anybody, anybody here remember the previous coronation? Some of you were alive, but do you remember it? You do. You were for, shh, don't tell anybody that. I know it was in black and white, <laughs> but it was very male. They were surrounded by me- where this one was, because the Queen stood out. <laughs> this poor young woman. I thought Charles looked quite um, stressed, actually, for most of the. I don't blame him. You know, he's been waiting 70 years, knowing it's coming. Eventually, but I don't, I'm sure he didn't think it would take this long. <laughs> 
but was probably glad that it had taken this long because his mum his was still, still around. And the opening thing that Chris pointed out, absolutely brilliant for setting that temperature. But you know what somebody at the nine o'clock said to me this morning? Because I made that point. I said, isn't that great? And somebody said to me, well, of everybody watching and everybody in the cathedral, would they understand who the King of Kings is? And I just went, oh. Because yes, for us, we go, oh, that was a good bit. But even that didn't mention Jesus. Now, we know it did, but it didn't. But it did. Because we call him King of Kings, Lord of Lords. We know that. But it wasn't blindingly obvious. If you don't know, you don't know. So even though there were some amazing things in the service, there was bits about the Christian aspects of the service that made me go, nah, still jargon. And for us, it's not jargon because it's language we use. But, but, hmm. Go back to your notes, sorry. Otherwise, you could go anywhere. Okay. Do pray for me. I seem to be talking to myself considerably more than I was. Just three months on my own, I think. Last six weeks without Wendy, even. Here are the things that struck me. And they struck me as a con- they strike me as a contrast. We have crowned a king, but we have a king. He is our secular king. Get it? Fine. But we have a king, and of course, our secular king. It's all a bit weird because we have an established church, so he's not just a secular king. He is the supreme governor of the Church of England. And am I pro-establishment or anti-establishment? Probably. Because there are times when I think it's great to be part of the establishment and we can Im- impact through the House of Lords and blah, 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 blah. And there are other times I think, oh, flip, I wish we weren't. And I can see it both ways. Which one is right, which one is wrong before God? I don't know. I don't know. That opening procession. When they got in the modern carriage, I got the word carriage right this morning, I called it a coach. Somebody put me right. (laughs) They got in that modern carriage that was designed to look old. Yep. Nobody said yesterday, you know, it's got nice suspension. Poor guy, you know, going all that way on bad suspension. Never mind, (laughs) stop it. But nice suspension and air conditioning. What they didn't tell you, the most important part about it, is it's got bulletproof uh, windows. Because there was always that question. In the background. It's got bulletproof windows. Which the wooden carriage was more dangerous in that sense. But but that carriage that brought them. And Claire Balling made it absolutely clear. She said, this is the biggest gathering. And she used this phrase. This is the biggest gathering of military might in the UK for 70 years. So there's Charles and Camilla in this procession, in this gilded carriage, as modern as it was, surrounded by military might. And, of course, all the soldiers look wonderful. You know, the lifeguards with the, the metal and, and then the household divisions with all the red and the bearskins. If, if this had been 40 years ago, my dad would have been in the middle of the band 
on, on parade and would have hated every minute of it because he would have been rehearsing for the last umpteen months. And it just... But he would, and it looks great, doesn't it? But it's an expression of military power. It's no worse than the march past in Red Square. It's no, you know, it's no different to the Bastille Day Parade. In, do, do you know what I mean? It's, that's a military expression of power. And as I watched Charles and Camilla in that carriage, I immediately in my mind flicked to a man on a donkey coming into Jerusalem, into his city, on a donkey. With all the flags that were around. Yep, coming into the cathedral. And I'm not saying any of this is wrong in a secular way. Just see the contrast. Jesus' flags were palms and cloaks laid down. The power of the procession spoke loudly of worldly power. And they were dressed to impress, weren't they? A whole lot on. I'm sort of glad he didn't have the, the garters on like George VI had. A bit better, he just had this plain trousers on. You might have seen more of Charles than you wanted to at that point. But, but it's the power and the procession. The comparison of the king with the king of kings is just so different. A military might, a golden carriage. And actually, the carriage that left, let's stay with the carriage for a minute. Covered in Roman gods. What? No, you say, well, that's the Georgian thing. Well, it is the Georgian thing. But do you remember what happened back in the Georgian thing? And what all the, all the great and the good were at, at the stage when that carriage was made? They were all Freemasons. That's when the Freemasonry started. That's where all that comes from. And Charles has refused to be a Freemason. I know. And he's broken that. But there's still the imagery around. Which you, just seeing those Roman gods, and like, uh, you know, classical history, I've got no problems with that. But it become it became part of what is carrying. And again, it's saying this is worldly. If you want to compare with Jesus, you don't have to just go to the Palm Sunday. Okay, what what about the Via Dolorosa, where Jesus carried the cross to Calvary? And was abused. Charles was cheered. And what about the person themselves? What about the person themselves? The people around Charles, the great and the good, the flags, the symbols of dominion and power. And then he stood up. This is your true king. This is your true king. Do you remember it? This is your true. Each time I went, no he's not. Jesus is my true king. Charles is my king, but Jesus is my true king. Hang on. What did I say then? Did I get it wrong? Yeah. Charles is my king. Jesus is my true king. Thank you. Uh, did I get it right? Oh, good. My <laughs> <Next> change. <laughs> Charles is my king. Jesus is my true king. This is your true king. This is your true king. This is your tr He's recognized. When Jesus came, who recognized him? No one. No one recognized him. He's acclaimed, Charles, 
by the religious leaders and the secular leaders. Hmm. Who surrounded Jesus as he hung on a cross? Criminals. One of whom ended up in paradise. Who surrounded Charles as he sits on his throne? The great and the good that want to be seen. Mostly. I'm sure there's some lovely people in there. Jesus is surrounded by criminals. On Palm Sunday, they get it, but they don't get it. We've talked about that before. Actually, is Jesus acclaimed? Do you know what? The secular authority, Herod, did not recognize him. The religious authority, the Pharisees and the high priest, did not recognize him. They sentenced him to death. His disciples, starting with Peter, did not recognize him. They did, but they didn't. And when push came to shove, they denied him. Charles is acclaimed as the one true king. Jesus is denied. What do we shout when Charles is crowned? Long live the king. Three times I think they did it. They did it, they did it several times during the service. At one point they did it three times. And each time I heard, crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. Not Charles. But Jesus was acclaimed by the call to crucifixion. Not by long live the king. May the king live forever. It's the only point I would have slapped Justin round the back of the head. May the king live forever. Well, he's not going to. But thank God we have a king who already lives forever. Contrast. So we've got a contrast in the power and the procession. We've got a contrast in the person. And then comes the pledge. They're all peas. I did quite well. They're all peas. Then comes the pledge. We were encouraged to make a pledge, an oath to the king. But bless him, he had said, I come to serve, not to be served. Great. And my prayer is that those, as Chris said earlier, those words go deeper. I'm sure he means them, but I pray they go deeper. And watching Prince William kneel and give fealty to his father, that was moving. At that point, I think Charles very nearly smiled. It's the only point, but he very nearly smiled. I don't know what William said to him, but it's good. But what did Charles pledge to do? To maintain law and the ritual of the Church of England and the settlement of the Church of England. You all know about the Act of Settlement and what that was referring to, don't you? Some of us do, don't we? <laughs> Some do have done church. What the heck was that all about? It's about the settlement that put the Church of England into the national life and made it settled. And also meant Catholics couldn't become king. 
Oh, sorry, they didn't, they left. He was swearing that no Catholic will become king. Actually, did you get that bit? I'm, I'm sure Vincent Nichols got that bit as he stood up in all his redness. I got, I got confused to start with. I thought there was one of the, you know, one of the guards, guardsmen had come in round the back, but no, it was the cardinal. Bless him. He's a good man. And Charles said, I'm a faithful Protestant. And, I w and he swore by the word of God. Okay. Let's compare that to Jesus. Jesus' oath to his father comes in Gethsemane. Dad, not my way, but yours. There's his oath. Actually, he's already pledged before time because he didn't consider a status and equality with his father something to be held on to. But so he's already pledged it in his incarnation. He's already pledged it, and in Gethsemane he pledges again, even unto death. Hmm. What about the paraphernalia? It's a good word. We tend to use it as a bit of a throwaway word, but it's the, the, the stuff that's used, the clothes, the symbols, all that stuff. An orb with a cross on it, the symbols of power and authority. He has authority over the world? Ooh. Anyway, um, a scepter with a cross about... Uh, glasses on my, my handwriting got small at this point. About power and justice. The scepter with the dove about equity and mercy. Okay, but why was there a diamond in one of those scepters that had been stolen from South Africa in 1902 and it was in the one about equity and mercy? Hmm, it's a bit uncomfortable, that one, isn't it? You ask the South Africans if the Cullinan diamond is English, they will tell you it's not. And then you talk to the black South Africans about the Cullinan diamond and they say, well, it's been stolen twice. But there it is, stuck in the scepter as part of our dominion. Though the imperial thing is still there. What does Jesus wear? What symbols does he show? Well, firstly, he wears flesh, the incarnation. Secondly, he wears our sin. I the bit where Charles is stripped down to the shirt, the shirt, great. You know, it shows humility. Charles was stripped down to his shirt tail and his trousers. Jesus was stripped naked and lashed. Which one is a sign of humility? You haven't read a scripture yet, Laurie. Mm. I hope a lot of scriptures are going through your mind. Jesus wore death, became death for us. The living God died. And what symbols of authority does he need other than his words and his actions? And the people who are healed, and the people that are transformed, and the people that are changed, they're his symbols of power and authority and might. All through, what's that other word? It's a four-letter word we avoid often. Love. All through love. Didn't hear that word used very often yesterday. 
I'm here to serve. I love my people. No, I'm here to serve. So we've got the, proce- the procession and the power, the person, the pledge, the paraphernalia, and then he's proclaimed king. And you get the oil, and you get that spoon that's 8,000 uh, years old, and he's crowned, and he's got that golden coat that they then put on him. What's the comparisons with Jesus? Well, he's baptized, the dove comes. Okay, we get that. The Holy Spirit is manifesting him because, of course, that's what the oil is symbolizing. Jesus had the dove come upon him at, at baptism. But you see the manifest nature of the anointing through what Jesus does. It's not just symbolic. It happens. The bishop said to me this week, he's met evangelical evangelicals and religious evangelicals. Because he used to be one. I don't know if you knew that. This is the Bishop of Buckingham. One of the first churches, his church, one of the first churches ever to run Alpha. He said, I love evangelical evangelicals because they try to live the scriptures. Religious evangelicals try to live by the scriptures. It's a rule book and it becomes religious. And I'm looking at Alan thinking, wow. He's picked up the difference between living it, a live faith, and then it's a rule book. It's religious. I want to live it. Because the rules are not rules, then they're just the way we live. And it's not rules, and I'm not ticking the box to make sure I'm. Hmm. Jesus is the Word of God, He's alive. What's He crowned with? Jesus isn't crowned with that amazing crown, He's crowned with thorns. And when they crowned Him, they didn't. I watched Justin. Charles, bless him, did this. That's no good when you're trying to put a hat on somebody. You need them to have the head straight so that the hat doesn't fall off because you put it on and suddenly Charles is wearing the crown off the back of his head, which is not going to look good. Uh, And I think Justin said something because Charles suddenly looked up. Well, when Jesus was crowned, excuse me, Fred, when Jesus was crowned, the thorns were taken and they were rammed into his head. I didn't touch him. You're right. (laughs) And the crown of thorns, the pain, the sacrifice, and yes, the resurrection. To use the old-fashioned phrase, the trump of victory. Wonderful. But through the cross. It's a long one. He's turning the page. He is nearly there. And then he's placed on the throne. Charles sits on that throne. Described this morning in something I read as a, was it a, ch- a fragile chair that looks like it could collapse at any moment. But actually, it's, it's over a thousand years old. So I doubt whether it will collapse because <laughs> it's being looked after. And he sits on it. The symbol, holding the scepter and the, and the orb and crowned and the rope and, and the image of wisdom and judgment. Where is Jesus' throne? Where is Jesus' throne? Well, firstly, he sits on the, ju- the seat of judgment. He is the wise judge. But the seat of judgment is the cross. 
He's enthroned on that cross. He is enthroned on that cross. That place of death, that place of pain, that place of abject absence and isolation is his throne. It's a bit of a contrast, isn't it? And he's raised from the dead. And he's sat down at the right hand of the Father. Hallelujah. Charles was sat on a throne for him to stand up to reign. Jesus sits down at the right hand of the Father because it is finished. It's done. And it's through us now that we enforce that victory. Through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Through his people. The confessing. The church militant, as the Book of Common Prayer puts it. Not the church that turn up. The church militant. The church that live it. Not the bishops that were in church necessarily, but those that live it. And where else is Jesus enthroned? He's enthroned on the praise of his people. So when we praise together, when we worship together, Jesus is enthroned. Yeah? Biblical, isn't that? And of course, he's enthroned in our hearts. He's enthroned in our lives. Or is he? Who sits on the throne in your life? You? All decisions are mine unless God tells me otherwise. Nah. All decisions are God's unless he tells you otherwise. Actually. Difficult one, isn't it? For him to go from being my saviour to my Lord is as big a jump as coming to faith. You can have him as saviour, but it makes no difference. You need him as Lord, where he changes everything. And for us, that's often a bigger jump than coming to faith. So, what do we say? The contrast in the power and the procession, the contrast in the person, the contrast in the pledge and the paraphernalia, the contrast in the proclamation, and the contrast when he's placed on the throne. That last one was a bit contrived, I get it, but still a P. Jesus is risen and ascended. Jesus has poured out his spirit. Jesus is enthroned on the praise of his people. And he asks to be enthroned in your heart. I'm going to read a scripture, then we're going to listen to that. And then Johnny's going to lead us in worship. Who is the king? Who is your king? I saw heaven standing open. Before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. 
He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe, on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. is my king. Will you worship him? Will you enthrone him? That is my king.